0: Would you please pray with me? Father, as I attempt to teach on the subject of marriage and divorce, I ask that you would guide my mind and my tongue to speak accurately thoughtfully, yet boldly, as I stand upon the truth of your word. For those who have been hurt and have endured the pain divorce can bring, I ask that you would heal them completely. Amen. Amen. Soon after Sharon and I were married, she told me, You know there's no divorce, right? It kind of caught me off guard because we just got married. Who's thinking about divorce? I didn't say anything at the moment. But as time passed on, I would give her these scenarios and these what-ifs. My crazy mind just bringing up Uh, instances and pictures of what if this happened? But her answer remained the same. No divorce. And she would come back and say, well, why would that happen? No divorce. Do you know the kind of commitment and trust it takes to say that? A lot. As we read through the pages of scripture, most of the time we'll see the same answer. No divorce. No divorce. The two have become one. No divorce. Marriage was created to be a a, a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. And Jesus confirms this by quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 24. In Mark 10, verses 7 to 9, Jesus told the Pharisees, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then again in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6, when the Pharisees come to test him, Jesus tells them exactly what those words from Genesis two twenty-four mean. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Amen? Okay. If that were all scripture has to say about divorce, it would be all so simple. But it's not that simple because that's not all scripture has to say about divorce. In our context today, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 31, ending in verse 32, Jesus introduces what is called the exception clause. The exception clause. First, he introduced it to the masses here in his Sermon on the Mount, but later he would repeat it to some teachers of the law who, like I said once again, came to test him. And as we continue our slow walk through the Gospel of Matthew... This is the subject we will park on today. The two passages of scripture i 'm going to read may seem unique when it comes to divorce, but as the scriptures are the layers of scripture are peeled back, we discover that a precedent has already been established for what Jesus says in these two passages so if you haven 't turned there uh, yet. Uh, I want you to grab a hold of Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 31. And that's page 810 in the Pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 31. Page 810 in your Pew Bibles. When you get there, please say amen. Okay. Now I want you to keep a finger there and i want you to also grab matthew chapter 19 beginning at verse 1 because i'm going to read that immediately immediately after i finish in chapter 5 verses 31 and 32 so that you have matthew 5:31 and you also have matthew 19 in verse 1 matthew chapter 5 verses 31 and 32 it was also said Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, and that's the part that may seem uh, unique, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, Matthew 19, verses 1 to 9. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Point number one The exception clause controls the guilty and protects the innocent. It controls the guilty and protects the innocent. Within a marriage, adultery is like no other sin because it dilutes the purity of the marriage union by adding a third party. Called to be a one-flesh union by two people until death The purity of marriage is just marred. It looks nothing like Christ and the church. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, sexual immorality in itself is like no other sin because every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person Sins against their own body. So when Jesus introduces these, uh, this exception clause that allows divorce for sexual immorality, he's not going against the law, but on the contrary, he's giving the people and us the correct and full interpretation of the law, which as we've seen as we've been going through Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, especially this section, he's been doing that throughout these scriptures. Leading up to our central verse, several times we have read, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. But now, we see a difference when Jesus broaches this subject of divorce. Instead of saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he simply says, it was also said. Now, I'm not being dogmatic about it, but I believe this was an intentional shift by Jesus to mark a transition from the commandments to an allowance by God on the subject of divorce due to the hardness of the human heart. When Jesus stated, it was also said, he's referring to Deuteronomy 24, so what I'm going to ask you to do now is to turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 24, that's page 165 in your pew Bibles. This is the basis for Jesus' statement in both Matthew 5 and Matthew uh, 19. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4, Moses said, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. This is what Jesus and the Pharisees were referring to. But did you notice that Moses never commanded, condoned, or commended divorce? He just recognized divorces are taking place and permits it on restricted grounds. He conceded to their hard hearts. But to keep any reckless and tyrannical separation from taking place, Moses regulated their desire to be separated through the writing of a certificate of divorce. And at that time, in the ancient Near East, nobody was writing certificate of divorces. This was unique to the people of God. The main function of the certificate of divorce was to control the guilty and protect the innocent. Now, let me show you how this works real quick. In the code of Hammurabi, if a man divorced his wife and said, get out of here, I don't want you anymore, go. And she went and married another man. The first husband, that same one who told her to scram, he could go find her and say, you're coming back with me. She had nothing to protect her. There was nothing she could do about it. But what the certificate of divorce did for God's people was that if a man decided to send the woman away for some legitimate sin, it put something in his hand, freeing him from his responsibility and requirements to her, while also putting something in her hand, freeing her from him and his authority over her. So according to the requirement Moses laid out for them, the one legitimate ground for divorce was some uncleanness. We would say some indecency. Within them. It was not adultery because the, the punishment for, adu- for both parties in adultery was capital punishment, death. Leviticus 20 and verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall, be, shall surely be put to death. So uncleanness was probably something incredibly shameful that may or may not have been connected to some sexual deviancy. Therefore, if the wife was the cause of the divorce, she was the guilty party and would be considered defiled if she were to marry again. In fact, it's an abomination before the Lord. However, the man, being the innocent one in this case, would be allowed to marry again, just not to her. By the time we get to Jesus' day, one school of interpreters known as The house of Shammai prohibited divorce in every case except adultery. But another school of interpreters, known as the house of Hillel, stretched the expression some uncleanness so far as to include everything in the wife that is deemed offensive or disagreeable to the husband. And this worked well for the hard-hearted and the unforgiving, like those in the sect. Of the Pharisees. Jesus wasn't just saying this for no purpose. He was speaking to a people who loved the leniency that the house of Hillel gave to people who just no longer wanted to be married. According to Baptist pastor and theologian John Gill, the Pharisees, he says, who were on the side of Hillel, quickly called for divorce upon the most foolish and frivolous pretenses of a wife, such as spoiling his food, or burning his food, or over-salting his food, or disrespecting him, or talking badly about his parents, or if he found another more beautiful than her. Whenever it came to pass that she found no favor in his eyes, they would appeal to Deuteronomy 24 and call out uncleanness or indecency. End quote. This is why Jesus needed to address this teaching that they had. And he said clearly, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And once again, neither God nor Moses ever commanded anyone to give a certificate of divorce, but acknowledged, merely acknowledged that it was taking place. And even though it was due to the hardness of men's hearts, God let them divorce, he always provided a way to control the guilty and protect the innocent. With all of that said, when sexual immorality has taken place within a marriage, the innocent, quote-unquote, innocent spouse does not have to spring towards divorce as fast as possible. But they could consider separating for a time, As they work through counseling and reconciliation, putting in the the, the work it takes to recover from the hurt in an attempt to restore the marriage. The heart of the Christian, the one that has been softened by God. The mind that says, be like Christ, be like Christ, be like Christ, wants to fight to save the covenant promise, for better or worse, that was made in the marriage ceremony and so many people are suffering right now and, and, and they will look at this and, and, and they will say what do I do? I've been hurt it's like someone took a knife and just stabbed it in my heart but Christ has forgiven me of so much Christ has saw throughout the ages what I have done what I would do and still called my name And even after saving me I would still sin against him and he knew it and he still loves me. Can I do that? So we come to this cross in the road and we ask God to give us the ability to move on past this. To give us the strength to get up after we've been knocked down. Jesus is speaking straightforward truth. It's, it's not like we have to wait to understand what he's saying. We see what he's saying. It's just a matter of believing it and being able to go forward without this burden, carrying it, feeling guilty, because we moved on. But yet we must be ready to move on. We must go thinking it through, in the spirit, going forward, saying, Lord, help me to go forward with whatever I choose. If I choose to stay, but I I can't reach them, do I go back to that place of sorrow and worry and doubt, lack of trust? Can I deal with that for the rest of my life? Lord, can you heal me from that? Not easy. The problem is when we get people who ignore what Jesus is saying, especially a preacher or a teacher, and he's telling you no divorce no matter what. There's a problem in that. There's a problem because that's not what Jesus says. He could have said that. He didn't have to say except for sexual immorality. He just could have left it alone and said no divorce no matter what. But the collateral damage from this type of teaching it's dangerous. It's so dangerous. Short story. In 1985, I met a man named Chill. A man named Chill. He wore a wide brim hat and he always dressed to impress. He was what one would call a ladies man. He was smooth. I was unsaved. So I looked at him and like, man, that's the man right there. He just looks at women and they melt. That's what I want to be. Unfortunately, he was married to one of the sweetest women you would ever meet. And unfortunately, this was taking place at the beginning, beginning of the AIDS epidemic. And like I said, long story short, real short, she contracted AIDS. He was HIV positive at the time, but looking at him, you would never know from his scandalous living of running from house to house with this woman and that woman, he moved on. She passed away a painful death. I don't know if she read this and ignored it. I don't know. But to control the guilty, God says, listen, both of you have to do something. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, wake up. You have to do something. To control the guilty, he says, you can separate for a time. And and it's a judgment against the guilty party to say, I'm wrong. And it's 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 a release from bondage to the person who's being hurt. To say, for a time, I need to get out of here or you need to get out of here. We have to do something. We cannot continue in this way. It's not right. And then Jesus comes and he says, don't carry that burden. I'm going to carry you. This is why you can leave even if it's for for a time to see some fruits of repentance, to see if this person is serious about love. Love seeks to give, to bless. Lust seeks to take and tear down, to hurt. The exception clause says this is not right, and you don't have to stay in bondage to this. So not only does Jesus give the innocent their freedom, but he also gives the innocent the right to remarry from that. Point number two. The exception clause allows the innocent to remarry. In the last clause of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, Jesus said, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And many people take the last part of that sentence and ignore what was said in the first part. And their conclusion is, if you're divorced, you can never remarry. No matter how your divorce came to pass. But from this text and the text in Matthew 19, we see that all remarriage is not unbiblical. And when we hold strongly to one part of scripture and ignore the other parts, we find ourselves in all kinds of trouble. And sometimes if we're telling that to someone strongly, we can be strong and wrong. And what we do is we put unnecessary yokes on people that we ourselves cannot bear, that we ourselves cannot bear. For example, in Matthew chapter 19, right, the text that we read, if we were to keep reading in context, after Jesus said, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The text goes on to tell us in verses 10 and 11, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it has been given. Not everyone can receive this saying, what saying, that it is better not to marry. Meaning, not everyone or even most people are designed to live lives of singleness for all time. So what ends up happening in most cases is whenever anyone, especially a preacher or teacher, stresses that last part of the scripture that says whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery and ignores the central part of the scripture where it says except on the ground of sexual immorality, they end up creating these incredible burdens. And they lay them on people's shoulders like, deal with that for the rest of your life while I go live in, I go live my life. But you have to Deal with that burden. Now you have this newly divorced person who has been consigned to singleness for the rest of their life. And we all can surmise that this causes more problems than were necessary. Especially when it comes to fleshly desires, lust, and impurity. So they can't win either way. In the exception clause, Jesus gives a solution that is related. It's not the exact same thing, but it's related to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. It is better to marry than burn with passion. Some have argued that Jesus is only speaking of the betrothal period, what we would call the engagement period, but only a stronger and more serious commitment Some have also argued that the indecency found is that the woman who claimed to be a virgin was exposed on the night of the wedding not to be a virgin. So the husband was allowed in that case to divorce and remarry. But I don't believe either of those scenarios are true because that was neither how the houses of Hillel, Shammai, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the scribes, or most importantly, Jesus interpreted Deuteronomy chapter 24 which was the basis of their argument for divorce. Jesus' response to them bringing up Moses' certificate of divorce was, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. If the woman was found to be lying about her uh, purity and the man wanted to send her away because she lied, Jesus himself would not say that man had a hard heart. Now, how do I know? Think about this. Jesus' stepfather, Joseph, wasn't seen as having a hard heart. He was actually called a just man, even though he was about to divorce Mary when he thought she had been impure and was pregnant. That was his intention until the angel came and told him what really happened. This just man was about to divorce Mary for what he thought was sexual immorality. But just know, divorce is never what God ever intended for marriage. But it does appear that the Bible gives us not one but two clear cases where divorce and remarriage are allowed, adultery and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse as seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15 there it says but if the unbelieving partner separates let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved god has called you to peace god has called you to peace and as i stated in the beginning when you peel back the layers of scripture, you find the precedent has already been established and it has been established by God himself. God himself divorced some who were called his people under the old covenant. We have to get that part, under the old covenant. Before tuning me out, because you disagree, I only ask that you take notes, right? You take notes and, and, and review them later, comparing them with scripture, the whole of, uh, of, of scripture, right? And if I say anything that's not backed up by scripture, I'll treat you to lunch. I'll treat you to lunch. Sharon and I will come and we'll meet you anywhere you want to meet. And I'll listen. We'll listen. But I need you to bring scripture, not emotions, not tradition but scripture in context. I have scripture, or what they call receipts, right? Uh, I have three of them speaking of God's divorce, a major, a major portion of his old covenant people, which is why God provided a new covenant. If afterwards you want to discuss the differences between the old and the new covenant after, you know, after the service... Uh, We can do that. We we, we have time for that. But for now, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Hosea, chapter two, Hosea, chapter two, uh, beginning at verse six. That's page 751 in your pew Bibles. Hosea, chapter two, beginning at verse six. We will be looking at verses 6 to 10. Page 751 in your pew Bibles. There we see God rebuking the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Why? For her spiritual adultery. And he does this a few years before he writes her a certificate of divorce. Verse 6. Therefore, I will hedge up her Away, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but, not, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. One of the chief pagan deities uh, was uh, Baal, and the word means owner, lord, master, to have dominion over. Scripture calls God Israel's husband. But she wasn't satisfied. She couldn't get no satisfaction. So she went after other lovers to make them her husband, but none of them could fulfill that role. God was their Lord and husband, but they were not content with the true God and what he provided so they committed spiritual adultery with Baal, along with other idols. How did God respond? He divorced her. We see this in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 1. And Isaiah 50 and verse 1 was written shortly after the, the divorce had taken place. Isaiah said, God is speaking through him. Thus says the Lord. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. In roughly 722-721 BC, God sent the Assyrians to destroy the adulterous northern kingdom. Many were led off to Assyria as captives. Some were left in the land on purpose. And what the Assyrians did is they planted all of these people there, and you have these these half-Jewish, half-Gentile people come forward, and they became known as the Samaritans, the Samaritans, a new people from the ten northern tribes, now please turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, page six to nine in your pew Bibles. If you're using your own Bible, I ask you to underline, highlight, do whatever you need to do to remember this section, this portion of scripture, because uh, if you call me, we're going to spend some time here. I'm going to listen to your fight, your rebuttal, but this right here is, is, is some strong language. But God is like, he's saying, wake up. Get this. Understand that I am a holy God. I am a just God. Yes, I'm a loving and forgiving God, but I am pure. And if we're going to worship him, we need to walk in such a way where we want to be that. There's none here without sin, but our desire has to be this. To be pure as God is pure. In Jeremiah 3, verses 1 to 8, Jeremiah wrote, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers and would you return to me, declares the Lord? Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see. Where have you not been ravished? By the wayside you have sat awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore, the showers have been withheld, and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. You refuse to be ashamed. Have you not just now called to me, my father, you are the friend of my youth? Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you not or have you seen what she did? That faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore. And I thought after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister, Judah, did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Think about this. The ten northern tribes of Israel never returned. God wrote them a decree or certificate of divorce for their adultery. In this text, through the prophet Jeremiah, God rebuked Judah for committing worse sins than Israel, because they watched him divorce her for her spiritual adultery. Judah is, 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 is Judah and Benjamin, two tribes, but just known as Judah. The southern tribes still remained as they watched the 10 northern tribes be taken captive and never return, intermingled with the people who were not God's people, and they all became. Abandoned, divorced, separated from the holy God. Judah watched this and they committed worse sins. They weren't any better. They weren't spared because they were good people. But it's all about grace. In 586 B.C., God eventually punished Judah seriously by sending the Babylonians to invade, plunder, and take them into captivity. But he did not Divorce her. And he did not divorce her because the promised Messiah was to come from her. The promised Messiah was to come because he was going to establish the new covenant. The new covenant. This is why all who are under the new covenant in Christ Jesus will never and can never be divorced from God. Speaking of the new covenant to come in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34 God through Jeremiah said and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. New covenant everybody who enters in The new covenant through Christ Jesus is saved. You have the law of God written on your heart. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. There's a personal relationship. God is your father. You are his child. Old covenant, gather a group of people. Do this if you want to be with me, worship me, honor me. Do this and you will live. New covenant, you can't do it. Jeremiah, Tell, tell them about the new covenant. You are saved because I did it. You can never do it. I gave you an example of people who saw me and saw my power, saw my deliverance. So please don't say, I would only believe if I could see. No, God is showing you a people who were enslaved by a, a people. I was going to say more wicked, but everybody's wicked. None's righteous. But God said, you are my people. Come out. Serve me. Here's my laws. Okay, you're still wicked. Let me show you what I'm going to do. Plan from the foundation of the world, but I needed you to know that you cannot do it. And God says, the law is here now. You are mine now. Nobody has to tell you about me to enter into a relationship. I do that. I take the scales from your eyes and remove the, the, the wax, the spiritual wax from your ears. And all someone has to say is, be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And on that day that you hear it, once the ears have been opened and the eyes can see, faith. Because God gave you the ability. God gave it to you. Praise his holy name. And that's the eternal relationship that's derived from the new covenant. We may be severely disciplined for our faithlessness and idolatry, which is spiritual adultery. But under the new covenant, God will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never divorce us. That's what marriage is to be a picture of, an eternal relationship that's derived from the new covenant. Now let's take a look at the four clauses of Matthew 5, 32. Let's, let's take a closer look at it real quick. Clause number one from Matthew 5, and verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, stop. This can also be translated, everyone who divorces. Everyone who gets divorced. Everyone. And although this was rarely an option for women, If a woman wanted to be divorced from her husband, she would have to, quote, unquote, work to get him to initiate the separation. And even to this day, in most orthodox um, and conservative sects of Judaism, women cannot obtain what is called a get, which is a bill of divorce. So they have to do things to force their husband to get the get. Clause number two from our text in Matthew chapter five, verse 32, except on the ground of sexual immorality, stop. Once again, this is known as the exception clause, and as you can probably surmise by now, this clause is one of the most debated clauses in the New Testament. I've explained what it means, so I'll move on to the third clause. Makes her commit adultery, that is, drives her straight into adultery, if she were to marry again. If there's no adultery or abandonment involved and the marriage is ended, both parties are seen as still being married in the eyes of God. Which brings us to the last clause. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If anyone marries the person who divorced illegally, they are now seen as an adulterer in the eyes of God because they married a married person. They join themselves sexually to someone who still has a husband or wife, according to God, and that's what matters the most. If the law of God is broken, that lawlessness carries into the next marriage, because God did not acknowledge the divorce. Which brings us to my final point, point number three, the exception clause, the marriage covenant, and the judgment to come. In June of 1965, a couple of well-known relationship experts wrote the words, I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try, end quote. Now, most people don't think they were speaking about marriage. However, many people enter marriage with that mindset, seeking their own personal satisfaction. But what is marriage? What is marriage but the complete and total giving of yourself to someone for life? For life, you are no longer two, but one. For life, you're no no longer flying solo, but you're a team. For life, you are to be more concerned with your spouse than with yourself, It's what we see between Mr. Jim and and, and Miss Juliet. When commenting on Matthew chapter 5 and verse 32, William Hendrickson, the former professor of New Testament studies at Calvin Theological Seminary, wrote, the more we study Christ's teaching as presented to us in this passage, the more we begin to appreciate it. Here, by means of a few simple words, Jesus discourages divorce. Divorce refutes the rabbinical misinterpretation of the law, reaffirms the law's true meaning, censures the guilty party, defends the innocent, and throughout it all upholds the sacredness and inviolability, meaning the safe and secure status of the marriage bond as ordained by God. End quote. So I'll end with this. For the innocent spouse who endured years of misuse and abuse, pain and sorrow, God is able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Meaning he's able to give joy where bitterness once reigned, and he's able to build peace where stress used to tear down and wear down. But for the guilty who made a mockery of the marriage covenant, God will not receive him or her. Until they repent. Until they repent and even attempt to right the wrong. They may think they've gotten away with their evil, but they have an appointment with a fiery judge who comes with a sword to take vengeance on the wicked and the unrepentant. Their only hope of escape is to lay themselves before the grace and mercy of Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses the worst sin-stained sinner and makes their record white as snow. For every unsaved sinner within the sound of my voice, I beseech you to repent and be saved so you may be married to Christ, so you may know what it is to have true love, true peace, and true joy. If there's no real relationship with God, there's none of this. As Psalm chapter 5 and verse 11 says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For those who are saved, yet you find yourself in the midst of a bad marriage or have come out of a bad marriage, my prayer is that Jesus would be the one you take refuge in. Not revenge, not bitterness, but refuge in Jesus. Hold on to him and trust in his word. He promised that he will spread his protection over you and you will love his name and exult in him as you take refuge in him. Let us pray. Father, as your children, we believe your word is your will. Your word says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Yet many of your daughters refuse to follow your word and your will. Your word also commands husbands To love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that husband should love their wives as their own bodies, cherishing her just as Christ does the church. Yet we can be so self-centered and short of patience. No wonder the divorce rate for Christians continues to rise. Help us, Father. Help us to do it your way. We ask that you would give us the humility to submit to your word. We are like little children who think they know it all, but fall apart when they fail. After we have destroyed the blessing of marriage that you gave us by being disobedient to your word, we still fail to acknowledge and confess our sin. Lord, we pray for changed hearts. Save marriages, Lord. Create humility within. We call ourselves your servants, but the Lord's servant, must not be quarrelsome, but kind. We ask that you would work that in all of us, Lord, and please grant repentance. Save marriages, Lord. Let it be a joyous thing, not a hard thing, but a pleasant thing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.